I'm Kirsty Gillen. And I'm Laura Farlin. We are the AHSS Digital Learning Team. Welcome to our AHSS Digital Learning Coffee Break podcast series. It's not just about teaching with technologies. In fact, in some ways, it's more about teaching about technologies because digitalization and digitization is affecting the social world in so many various ways that we need to respond, in particular in social work. Amanda Taylor-Bezik shares insights from her research and expertise in digital pedagogies and reflects on ways the changing digital world will affect teaching and learning in her own discipline of social work and beyond. Um, So yeah, I'm Amanda Taylor-Bezik. I uh, work in the School of Social Sciences, Education and Social Work at Queen's University Belfast. Uh, Previous to that, I was a social work academic in England. Um, and my interest in digital and um, digital anything really started when I moved from Ireland to take up my first academic role um, in England uh, about 13 years ago now, where I myself was trying personally to kind of engage with ways of staying in touch with everything that was Irish and familiar to me uh, whilst I was making that transition, um, you know, essentially to a place that was very unfamiliar to me, but also people who were very unfamiliar and very quickly into that sort of journey of kind of exploring technologies personally I was starting to think about and starting to connect with people who were interested in using digital technologies or information communication technologies in higher education and at that time there was start you could sort of see there was a start of a sort of digital transformation digital shift that's going back to 2009 and at that time I started to test out ways of um, developing the student experience and using various digital methodologies. And was luckily enough, lucky enough to work with um, a learning technologist um, and commissioner of hardware um, at my last university who was really interested in pushing these sorts of methodologies or test them at least really um, at that time. So we've, we've just come from the, the year of the pandemic where everything was moved to online or blended. So our first question is, what has that shift to online teaching and learning meant for you personally, but also for your students and your subject discipline? I think I did a nice, uh, or Queen's did a nice piece on this actually, um, where I had been employed for my digital expertise really, or largely for that in social work, um, about three or four months before the pandemic really hit, uh, you know, the UK. Um, and I don't think, and I think we say in the blog, I don't think any of us realised how much um, that, inf- you know, that expertise would be needed, really, and how quickly um, that it would be needed. Um, so it, in one respect, for me, it was really good because it was my research area. I was wanting to push forward in digital technologies and digitising social work education or the curriculum, the programmes of learning more broadly. And the other side of that was then it was... Um, it was a quite a difficult period because there was so much to do. Um, there was so much change. And, um, you know, we had research to say that we perhaps across higher education, there had been this digital transformation going on for a very long time. How much that was sort of manifesting in the student experience, you know, there was a lot of tensions around that conversation, really. So for me, it was this, I was working this real dichotomy of, oh, this is great, everybody wants to go digital. And then the other side of that was realising actually there was a lot of work that needed to be done in that sort of really liminal space. Um, I also realised through my research, and my research examined how social work education in England particularly was preparing students for a digitised social world and therefore problems around digitalisation, but also 
how they could exploit and maximize these technologies in their day-to-day -day work. So having done that research, I knew that there were, the students weren't always coming to um, social work education as prepared to engage with the digital as we may assume. Um, and that, I think in lots of ways how this digital transformation kind of was a large sort of movement across higher education had assumed. And some of the sort of more research, recent research around this where, you know, students were clearly saying, you assume us to be more digitally equipped than we are. I know the DIS study certainly showed that to me when I was, in the final parts of my analysis, which was early 2019, the students that I had interviewed were saying the same thing. So I went into this sort of liminal space at Queen's when we were making our transition with that knowledge that uh, we we mustn't assume. Um, and I, I've always been very sort of angstful around sort of introducing new technologies and expecting that just because somebody uses their mobile phone personally, they may not be able to make that translation professionally. And we certainly found that in social work in England. Actually, it was one of the things that, spurred me to do my research was the amount of qualified social workers who were coming unstuck because of that digital technologies or because of their decisions, their behaviours or whatever around digital technologies. And it was leading them to have to be, they were being called to account for their behaviours um, and their choices online by the professional regulator. That was one of the things that really spurred me to do my research because we had sets of professional standards that were saying students must be prepared to practice in a digital world and here's the things they must do. And students were saying very clearly that's not happening. And I, as a social work academic, felt very responsible for that because I was the person delivering the educational kind of offer. Um, so I, it was useful to me to take that information into this digital transformation that was going on in the school of social work or across uh, social sciences education, so for, but specifically in social work, that was where I kind of had that work stream. And that um, was a big transition for us all. Um, and it really took, you know, us all to kind of just, you know, fall into the space in terms of our own anxieties and uncertainties and all those sorts of things and learn together. And what we did as an academic community in social work, obviously supported really well by, you know, our digital team um, who were very, very responsive to kind of the anxieties actually that people were experiencing at that time. So we had a really kind of nice group of people around us as yeah. well, me included in terms of me saying, I can't get this to work or this needs to work or how do I do this? You know, so the, the journey for us all was very much, I think that's why it worked because we were all in lots of ways in a very new space where we were having to make this big step forward. Um, and I think when I look back now, you know, I, I know my, my team doesn't ring very much now at all. My phone doesn't ring very much now at all. I don't get too many emails to do with digital technologies. And I think some of my angst is that we won't take that go, going forward. So it was a huge transition. In one way, I was really, you know, I've been pushing for years to, for people to embrace digital technologies. And then we got to this place where it was kind of like, a tidal wave um, happened and it was about holding our nerve um, and, and tapping into the resources around us, particularly around the faculty um, and just taking the steps that we could. And actually our student feedback was excellent around this. They really recognised um, the work that we were doing in those areas to really make it possible to, to have a student experience, you know, that may not be a physical such sort of campus experience, but what we I believe we were able to create and their feedback suggests very clearly that um, they still felt as connected as to us as they could in the context of a global health crisis. But how would you see the, your ideal situation three years from now for teaching and learning within your subject area? 
that's a, that's a brilliant question, but probably a really provocative question, or my answer maybe. I'm not sure which. Um, obviously, um, as an outcome of my research was uh, the digitizing social work education framework, which looks at the different aspects of social work education. It can be translated, and I have worked with various people around translating it into other disciplines. But essentially, you look at your whole pro program of learning and you review it in terms of, and this is the key bit for me, and this is maybe the answer to the question, is it's it's not just about teaching with technologies. In fact, in some ways, it's more about teaching about technologies because digitalization and digitization is affecting the social world in so many various ways that we need to respond, in particular in social work, um, you know, around digital poverty, you know, digital inequalities, um, surveillance, data surveillance, all these different issues, GDPR compliance. You know, so look, if, for me to review the curriculum or programs of learning through that kind of digital lens, you know, and look at those intersections where um, the digital and the human collide, really. And I think our work is in those various places. You know, for me, if I'm teaching about, say, for instance, um, let's see, human development, I will be thinking about how can I also teach that aspect of human development that is now being very much manipulated by digital technologies, you know, children in terms of, I don't know, fine motor skills, major motor skills. How is that being affected by the fact is that they are interacting with this device in their pocket a lot of the time? If I'm teaching about sociology, I can't possibly teach sociology without considering digital sociology. If I'm teaching law and policy, I cannot possibly talk about that without talking about big data surveillance, you know, biases in, in technologies, and also then um, how we comply with data protection law in this context. So I think three years from now, my ideal would be that we would have looked at, um, in some ways that we, 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 were, we will be stopping to talk about digital because it will be so embedded into kind of our narrative as human beings. If, if I go back to the Gutenberg press, really, you know, how much do we talk about that kind of press and the conflicts and the tensions at that time. A guy called um, John Naughton, a professor at Oxford, wrote a brilliant book from Gutenberg to Zuckenberg. And I would definitely recommend to people even just skim read even some of his papers around that because actually that's kind of, you know, now we kind of don't talk about that. We've moved into another kind of sphere of our technological development as a human race. So I think social work in particular needs to respond to that, but lots of disciplines need to respond to that. My big angst that underpins all of this is that we are preparing students for the world in which they will live and the world in which they will work um, and that, that we are giving them a lens through which to kind of be innovators of the future, be people of the future that are protecting people's rights you know, against sort of digital biases and all those sorts of things. It's, it's multidimensional and complex. And I also hope that by that time that we have become much more interdisciplinary in our educational offers that, you know, that our students are working alongside computer sciences, scientists, students who are designing these softwares, hardwares or whatever. You know, and there's, we get a more kind of blended kind of offer um, which I think it's tricky, but I also think that those students need to be having conversations with each other, um, as do us as academics and I guess as you as people who are facilitating our learning around the digital. You've maybe already touched on some of these things, but what what do you and your colleagues need to do? Or maybe what, what is it kind of the first step in achieving some of the ideals that you've 
outlined a second ago. Yeah, probably you know probably talked about that a bit, and I think it is about looking at our own curriculum areas, but also looking at our research areas. You know, we need to be researching in these intersections as well as kind of to help us to understand actually where the changes need to be made. Mm-hmm. So I think again, looking at that sort of the point about you know, the intersections where the digital and humans collide, kind of thing, and, and working in those spaces to understand if whatever your particular area is. You know, if you're thinking about, I don't know. If it's met, you're working in mental health, you know, what is it that you would need to be teaching around that subject that would mean that students were prepared to kind of consider or shape that part aspect of our world? Um, and I think it's it feels it's a bit like the digital shift felt until the pandemic made us do it. It felt too big. It felt like too much of a change, too much of a kind of moving away from these notions of in person, you know. I can tell you that we're mediated at the moment and I am very much, this is me, I am no more in person than I could possibly be if I were sitting in your study or your office or whatever. And I think some of those notions of kind of face-to-face and what that means and mediate spaces and what that means. There's some brilliant writers are writing around um, in sort sort of more mental health interventions, psychodynamic therapies and things about this idea of screen relations. So those are sorts of things that we need to kind of keep ironing out. My, 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 um, I think my anxiety is that we will revert back to ways of doing education that don't fit with um, the future of kind of students in the social world, you know, when post their educational experiences. And I don't, I just don't say that just because I don't think um, education is, you know, always, you know, about employment, but I do think it's, um, it's a shaping of the social kind of, you know, your your social conscience, you know, who you are as a human being, your soft skills, all those sorts of things. And I, I do hope that we don't lose all that we've learned through that process and that we, when we go forward, that we have the courage to take some of those methods forward. It reminds me when I went to first start um, giving verbal feedback as a, a social work academic about, I don't know, many years ago now, maybe six or seven years ago, might be a bit more than that. And, I am really digital and a real geek. I love gadgets. And if you give me something to try, I'll probably have a go at it or whatever. As long as I think it's ethical and I've worked out the ethical tensions around big data and surveillance and all that sort of thing. But um, it was really funny in our school that everybody was quite shocked, actually, the school that I worked in. It was me and the head of school. And we totally refused not to have a pile of papers on our table with our pencil sharpener and our pencil, you know, prepared for the, you know, the battle that sometimes can be huge marking loads. And I was the last person, in fact, forced. They they were they refused to print them out for me anymore. I had to go online and do the. And I was really like, there's a sort of a term in social work called resistant and reluctant. And talk about service users wrongly, very wrongly, actually, very unethically in that way. And I got this sort of frame around me in my last school where this is you're so reluctant and resistant to this. Why is this? And I just didn't feel that I had the skill or I was going to give good enough feedback. And now what I know is very, you know, it's very robust from student feedback that, that, that in the, of that experience of having verbal feedback mm-hmm. is that the feedback I provide is much more robust than the few sentences I would have put on a script or some ticks or yeses or noes or whatever. That actually the annotations are really full of feed forward type material and students really engage with that in a very different way. So some of our learning when we're going forward is about how do students receive and want to receive information in current day 
that's not to say they're all digital or prefer digital. You know, people prefer a blended approach, I think. But I do think that we need to kind of consider that and also teach students to do those sorts of things, to be able to articulate in different ways information, because I think that's part of their soft skills learning is um, throughout their academic experience anyway. You mentioned the audio feedback with annotations and you've um, so graciously uh, uh, agreed to come along and to talk more about that. So we can we can share the link to that event where you do talk a little bit more about the processes and uh, more specifics about that audio feedback. So we'll share those in the podcast notes. It'd be great, Amanda, if you could um, talk to us about some innovative examples of teaching and learning that you've incorporated and also um, some that you've seen from others? Gosh, where would you start? Um, um, we wouldn't be, we'll probably be here for a very long time. There's not just about me, but so many things that people are doing that are fantastic. You know, some of the simulations that we've seen of late, I had um, a colleague from uh, the US come to Queen's actually and do a talk. It might be useful to share his talk. It's it's still on the events page. Um, and Matthew's work around simulation in social work education is just outstanding and incredibly exciting. Um, with me, the, some of the things that kind of resonate and also are enduring, I would say, in terms of the the, the methodologies um, that I developed going back, I can't remember the date now, it's quite a while ago, I started, I, I was head of um, social work, uh, undergrad social work at my last institution. I was trying to figure out ways to get students to read more. Um, and I wanted to do that in a way that was enjoyable, but also that would really consolidate their learning experience in various modules. And I, I, I booked a room for, imagine that three or four students would rock up to this. And this it was a huge cohort of, I think it was 128 undergrads, and I can't remember, 118, um, I think it was 118 master students. And um, well, basically they were nearly sitting in each other's shoulders. Um, the room was packed. There was like, I think it was about 80 odd students there with their packed lunch in this chapter out of a book actually that I'm going to use actually the same chapter um, come at the, the incoming semester because the author of this book has agreed to come and talk to our students, which is just great. Um, and the students just loved it. They just loved this idea of reading together and, you know, communities of learning. And it sort of was based on that Wenger work about communities of learning, communities of practice and nurturing, kind of that also nurturing um, com communities of inquiry within cohorts of students, you know, who would support each other and sort of take on a life of their own. And because it so many turned up and it went so well, I took that methodology online and it's now got its, well, it's had its own Twitter feed for a very long time. I think there's seven or thousand people there. We're still having events. In fact, Laura, um, you did such a fabulous job of helping me um, with all the technologies and hosting those events and giving people a virtual experience of queens from all over the world. There was quite a few people that had that experience. And we still go ahead with Social Work Book Group. The advantage is, I think, about three years in, after I'd gone onto Twitter, I was live streaming it through something called, I think it was called Adobe Connect or something. It was such a clunky technology. Um, at that time, I'm sure it's improved or it might not even exist. I'm not quite sure. Um, and, and compared to that experience in terms of how smooth it was and compared to now and how smooth it is, people can enter the space, they can become interactive, you know, all those sorts of things. And it's global, you know, so it's a global social work experience for students, you know, that really fits around the internationalization agendas with actually very little effort or maybe I see it as very little effort at this stage. So, and it's multi-dimensional. It's, you know, you can be face-to-face. -face. When we first started out, I would be live streaming from Lancashire where I was having my physical group with students. 
And then there would be physical groups happening all over the UK at that time, a couple all over the world. And we would all tune in together um, and use the Twitter feed as the way to communicate our thoughts about the book. So that was one thing that's still going on and there's still book groups and actually there's one planned again now for the incoming semester with um, academics from Sheffield who have been working um, with a community group in a gym and they've written a chapter on their work as a piece of research. Um, and we, we usually use fiction for that, but we're using this um, chapter because of the potential it has in terms of student and academic learning around, well, obviously social work, social care, but also about research methodologies. And, and the other one I would probably mention is Social Work Virtual Pals. So what we did with that was a friend that I, well, now it was a colleague come friend um, in the US. We met on a Twitter chat one night. We saw that both of us really interested in digital pedagogies um, and couldn't resist then talking about them because at that time there was very few people that wanted to listen about that. Um, even though in social work there's a 33 plus year um, literature on um, ICT's digital technologies in uh, for social work education and practice. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, we connected together and we were having one of our sort of monthly meetings on Skype where it took like an hour to communicate a sentence because Skype kept falling out or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, we were just like, what is this about, this connection? Why does it work so well? It's very supportive. We're working on research papers together. You know, we're doing some work on various projects together. But what is this project here? Is this a project? Um, and I remember saying to her, it feels to me a bit like having a pen pal, but virtually like digital pen pal. So we looked up the literature on pen pal, who started it. It was an educationalist called Bridie and her, her second name escapes me. So people can maybe have a look for her online. But she was an innovative educator who was really interested in different kind of methodologies. And I think one of her first pairings, I want to say, it was Anne Frank and a student from America, but also check that out because um, I'm sure I read that online. We've written a blog about it, so it must be true, um, about social work. We've got a website for Social Work Virtual Pal, and at the moment we've been sort of playing around with building an app and that sort of thing just to try and connect. And we've got various Virtual Pal connections all over the world. In fact, we've got a student at Queen's at the moment in social work with a student in Buffalo um, or Alabama. I can't remember where. Oh, it's one of those campus anyway. At Birmingham, Alabama, um, and they're working together to develop the sort of student presence um, on Social Work Virtual Pal to give people opportunities to kind of be able to reflect on interna internationalization or the globalization of our profession. And again, it's it's a transferable kind of methodology. You can use it any kind of student grouping where you want to connect students outside their own campus and sort of get them to look up and look out, really. Um, and in terms of well, I did write a, a book on digital pedagogy for um, an educationalist who developed um, a tool called uh, the Learning Wheel, and it's a model of digital pedagogy. And I was tasked with writing about it in terms of um, the various aspects based on Rona um, Sharp's work around developing the digital transformation way, way back, really. Um, and that's a you know, it's, a, it's an interesting read, that is. Well, I say that, that saying a wrote, I find it interesting to write, let's say that <laughs> kind of thing. But and, and now, you know, you're seeing various, I'm starting to see various colleagues who would probably have not engaged with the digital prior to the pandemic, starting to test out different methods, becoming more confident in those methods and knowing that, you know, within the university, within our faculty in particular, if you need some support around that, it's there. And that's a real kind of, you know, plus for us as academics that you're not, when I started this off, it was me and one person really, 
when I started my work in this area and now we've got a whole team of people who were, who are very, very responsive to us as academics. So I would be always encouraging people just to reach out and sort of have some of those conversations because a lot of these things, as we now know, once we get a bit of confidence in them, you know, they're, they're quite easy to roll out. I would agree. I think from our experiences, you know, as a digital learning team, we, we're we're very happy to for people to contact us anytime. But if anything, probably the last year has just given a few people more tools in their tool chest, you know, and um, they've explored different things, whether it's been uh, a welcome exploration or not. But I just want to go back to your your online book group and, you know, because you talk about about um, the support, the technical support that I, I had mm. the privilege to offer because I was able to sit in and it was a fantastic event. But actually, the things that I learned from you were just using social media in such a way combined with that online mm. presence and on that online reach to really gather. There were like 200 people mm. at the event. Yeah. That's, a, that's a, something that anybody could use to invite, you know, industry professionals or to reach out to authors is what you've yeah. done. And it's a re- really engaging event for students and it's an opportunity that is there and mm. maybe more approachable, more acceptable um after what what the year we've had yeah it reminds me of um the method too that joanne hughes brought in in ahss for the in research the 30 minutes with and that's when i spoke about matthew and tying in matthew sims talk um to some of the resources for this podcast you know that was a brilliant kind of event that started off very us in-house sharing our research and getting to know each other through our research and then, you know, broadcasting that across the world. And I know lots of my network, you know, tuned into a lot of those talks and were really kind of, it was 30 minutes, so it was bite-sized, it was easy to access, you in and out. And yes, we could extend the conversations much longer. We're academics, we like to talk. Um, but actually you were able to connect in terms of other researchers in various areas that may not even have considered. That was a brilliant method that come out of, you know, I think it may have started actually, John may have suggested that before the pandemic actually, but once the pandemic hit, I think we just, it grew, you know, and the population of people that were accessing that once it was made open access, it was just fabulous. Um, you know, it was really, really encouraging when you are interested in kind of sharing your work that, you know, that widely, um, that we are getting sort of braver with some of these methods. And I guess the final question then we'll leave with this. What advice do you have for staff who wish to maintain or develop their own use of, of uh, digital in their own teaching and learning? I always, I probably didn't start this talk by saying that, you know, I will always preference being in person, having a campus experience. You know, like I only was at Queen's about 16 weeks when the, the pandemic hit and I haven't been back, you know, mm-hmm. it was the most wonderful campus experience as we all know, because we worked there kind of thing, work, walking through the gardens and there is that element of it for sure. And I, we are a face-to-face physical campus experience university. People come to Queen's for that, the wonderfulness of campus. There's no doubt about that in the environment. But I also think that I would be encouraging people to just think about, you know, not losing some of the methods that really worked well for students, you know, at a distance. There were some things that did work very well at a distance and some things that perhaps didn't do where we would enjoy being more face-to-face in terms of teaching methodologies. But, you know, I know that when I lived in England and worked in England, I used to dra- spend days driving to practice placements all over England, you know, 
eating up the ozone layer, but also, you know, fuel and all these sorts of things. And, you know, now we've been doing like things like practice education visits online and those sorts of things. I would be encouraging people to keep up, you know, keep if you have started down the journey of verbal feedback, you know, and you're if you're only even you're only new into that, you know, persevere with it because and it might not work for you. But I think at some point the students are going to say that's what they, exactly what they want. And I think, you know, I've been looking at the dare I say, the NSS um, and the student feedback this week and spent some time just immersing myself and looking at that. And I would be saying, you know, we, we, we need to continue to listen to kind of what students want. And that's not to say that always that the wisdom of academics have been around for a long time or we should diss all the traditional methods. I don't think we should at all do that. But I think if we got a nice balance between the two things, that it would really help us in terms of continuing providing an excellent um student learning experience so I think it's just about you know going just having to think back about what did work and what didn't and and kind of you know looking at those sort of flexible approaches um and and not feeling that we just have to do the one approach um and not go back broad scale traditional methods but also not take all the digital stuff forward because I think some of the things did work and some didn't and I do think students really hankered after that physical um experience going to Queen's, walking through those gates, you know, hanging around the campus. I think we need to just think about how do we get a nice balance of the two things um, so that we are a diverse university, you know, we do, and we maximise the investment we've made and all these various tools that we have. Um, but, you know, people are kind of where they're at and they're, everyone's on their own journey with it. But um, I guess for me, I, I will be looking at sort of, thinking about you know where are the boundaries that I want to push around digital technologies now you know I've very much been working with um, Dina in ethics around the ethics of some of these platforms and you know spent some t more time around that area I think we have a lot more to do in terms of research I would um, I'm always keen when people get in touch with me they say I'm doing this piece of research there's a digital aspect would you like to get involved and since that's been my experience since I've got to Queen's, but through the pandemic, it's been um, relentless of people wanting to think about. And I think that we've got a lot of people doing a lot of really good work in that area. And you know, it'd be really exciting for us to push um, some of those boundaries around research too. It has been really interesting to hear how Amanda has used some of the unique opportunities afforded to her with the dramatic shift to online teaching and learning in 2020 and her reflections on using the digital lens methodology throughout. We invite you to further explore some of the resources that are mentioned during this conversation with Amanda using the links we have shared in the podcast notes. Look out for more AHSS Digital Learning Coffee Break podcasts and if you would like to take part in any future episodes then please do get in touch with the team at ahss.elearning at qub.ac.uk.